Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. One of the things that we've talked about before on the show is the amazing serendipity that brings some of the guests that I've had on the show to the show. This episode is a perfect example of that. Dr. Sanjeev Aurora runs a program from the University of New Mexico called Project Echo. He is a liver specialist, a hepatologist, and Project Echo, I think you'll agree with me after you listen to this episode, is truly a game-changing way we are going to be able to approach healthcare. Not just are going to, but already are able to approach healthcare in terms of delivering high-quality specialty care to anyone that needs it quickly, efficiently, safely. This is a fascinating conversation. And the serendipitous part of this is was looking at my Twitter feed one night and a tool Gawande referenced Project Echo and Sanjeev Aurora on his feed. I Googled it, looked it up, looked at the website, was completely blown away, immediately had to send them an email and say, would you like to come on the show? And here we are. This is an amazing conversation. I think you're going to walk away from this needing to reflect a little bit on what this may mean for you, for your family, expectations of what care can look like, whether you're in medicine or not in medicine. Project Echo is something very, very special. It's something I think we're all going to be hearing a lot more about in the coming years. So without further ado, Dr. Sanjeev Arora. Dr. Arora, thank you so much for joining me. Wonderful, Mark. It's a pleasure to join your podcast. So Project Echo has one of the most exciting and engaging mission statements that I've seen in a while, and it's changing the world fast. There's a lot in those four words. I love that mission statement. What is the philosophy behind change the world fast to encapsulate Project Echo? So Mark, um, one of the problems that we see in the world today is that patients all over the world are not getting good health care. We think that out of the 7 billion people in the world, 6 billion don't have access to the right knowledge at the right place at the right time. And therefore, they cannot get the right care at the right place at the right time. And this leads to enormous suffering. And it could be very simple of how to diagnose their tuberculosis knowledge, how to do oral rehydration. It could be something more complex of how to diagnose a particular disease. There may be treatments available next door, but if you don't have the right knowledge to make the right diagnosis, how to treat it, that treatment cannot go into effect. And as a result of this lack of knowledge in the right place at the right time, millions of excess deaths occur. And the prevalent model for knowledge distribution in the world naturally leads to what we call knowledge monopolies, where experts have this knowledge within themselves. There's no easy way to get it out. And the goal of ECHO is to democratize this knowledge and get it everywhere in the world where it's needed uh, so that human beings can benefit from this knowledge and people are not dying just because nobody knows what to do in a particular area. And this obviously started with something that's very personal for you. You're a liver specialist and the issues around finding diagnosing and properly treating people who have hepatitis C, that was sort of the, the, the seed crystal for launching Project Echo. 
Yeah, it was uh, 2003, and I'm a liver specialist, as you mentioned, and I was treating hepatitis C in my clinic at the University of New Mexico, and there was an eight-month wait to see me. People were driving hundreds of miles, making 12 to 18 trips while they were um, using a very complicated regimen of interferon and ribavirin. And as you're a physician, you know that an interferon has very, very serious toxicities. It is often used in the treatment of cancer. So if they were poor and they were living hundreds of miles away from me, having to make 12 trips to see me for one course of treatment, poor people just could not make that trip. And so less than 5% of the 28,000 patients that had already been diagnosed in New Mexico had been treated. There were also 2,400 patients who had never been treated before. This resulted in in a huge problem because of the eight-month wait in my clinic and people not being able to reach it. There were people who were actually dying because of a lack of access to care. And, And this was the reason we started Project ECHO to bring best practice care to all patients with hepatitis C in New Mexico. And then we knew if we could do that, we'd have a model to treat complex diseases in rural locations in developing countries or many, many disease areas. There's a number that I want to throw out at you, and I pulled this number right off of your website. And you you referenced this just now about this issue of travel and how we can do things that affect patients not just by getting them the right therapies, but affecting their quality of life and paying attention to things that are of a high priority for them. It's 539,000 miles. What does that number mean? Why is that number forward-facing on the Project ECHO website? I, I think we were just trying to give an example that the benefit of ECHO is not just treating a particular disease, but people live so far away from where the expertise resides, that if you had to travel to go and get it, you would have to travel a massive amount. This would also have huge negative impacts on the environment. And that getting the right knowledge to the right place at the right time has many benefits other than just providing healthcare. It's environmentally more friendly. Uh, People don't have to take time off work. Their loved ones don't have to take time off work. There is also the expense involved in coming to a city and living in hotels while your loved ones are trying to access this expertise. So all of this, this is just an idea. Uh, We're trying to demonstrate how ECHO results in huge savings in terms of travel and other kinds of hardships that are posed on patients by our current system. There's many levels of genius and brilliance in the con in the conception and execution of this. And one of them is exactly this point. You know, we always talk about patient centeredness and patient experience and we should, this is like patient experience and patient centeredness 2.0 saying this isn't just how we interact and treat and manage disease and take care of people when they're in front of us. It's what does it look, what does the whole experience look like? And if we can say, you don't need to drive 120 miles each way on a Wednesday for a 30-minute visit, then we shouldn't make you do that. You, there, there has to be a better way. Was that an intended consequence as you started putting this together, or was this an unintended consequence that you sort of realized, wow, look at what we are leveraging in addition to getting the right care at the right time to the right people? Yeah, it wasn't exactly the primary goal. I think the primary goal was, you know, I was concerned that people were dying of liver cancers and, 
and uh, liver failure, I really wanted to save lives. We, d- we did realize that it immediately had this patient-centeredness. And patient-centeredness, not just in the areas we've mentioned before. One of the things, again, it was an unintended consequence. I didn't think of it earlier. But we realized that best practice is not just the knowledge of an expert. It's not just the knowledge of an expert team at a university. What it actually also involves is the cultural, social, economic, psychological contexts of patients. And these contexts are better provided in the communities where they live. When they travel 120 miles to go and see a specialist in a city, that person may know a lot about their disease, but doesn't have sufficient knowledge about the circumstances in which this patient lives, the social support they have, what their lives look like. And so I actually believe now, as a result of running ECHO for 13 years, that when you bring the expert knowledge of a multidisciplinary team together with this context of the patient, that that is actually like magic, because these two interface with each other to create and, and sort of synergize to create a better better best practice than just medicine can create. When you think about this concept of the magic that's being created, and I agree as an outsider who's learning about Project Echo, this is the very definition of the magic of medicine and the highest aspiration of what, the highest achievement of what we would all aspire to do. What are you hearing from your patients? What are you hearing from the people who in 1998 were having to travel to come and see you? And now they're able to reach out to their local provider who is now an expert and can resource you anytime they need. What sort of feedback are you hearing from patients? I can only imagine what they may be saying, but give us a couple of, uh, of the striking examples of things that have come back to you. I mean, the first big benefit is to my patients in Albuquerque, where I live, in that the wait in my clinic now is down from eight months to two weeks. Previously, wow. they had to wait eight months, wow. uh, regardless of whether they lived 200 miles away or half a mile away from the university, because that was I was sort of jammed up. Whereas now, when we what we did is we created these 21 centers of excellence for treating hepatitis C in New Mexico. Five of them were in the prison system. And 16 were in these federally qualified health centers all over the state. And so now each of these nurse practitioners was run by a family doctor or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. And these patients now can go to their local facility and get treatment. So patient experience, we've measured in some of our programs and it is absolutely through the roof. I mean, we recently just concluded a Center of Medicare and Medicaid Innovation Grant, CMMI grant uh, for managing super utilizers in New Mexico, all over the state. When we asked them questions like at the baseline before they joined ECHO, we asked them and said, look, are you getting the best possible care? Only 25% said yes. And after 12 months of participation, it went up to 75%. We asked them, is the care accessible to you? Again, it was around 30% and went up to about 75%. And so essentially, even areas such as which we wouldn't expect, does your uh, team, care team, treat you with respect, went up dramatically. Uh, I think that when you take patients out of their home environment and just plonk them into 
an academic center in an area far away from home where they don't even know how to negotiate the parking, let alone the healthcare system. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's, it's not a patient-centered experience at all because a lot of our health system is designed in a way that is not as patient-centered as it should be. So as you move care close to their home in their environment, it naturally becomes more patient-centered. The, that sort of outcome data, and I know that that sounds kind of dry, is extraordinary. That is 75 out of 100 as opposed to 30 out of 100 patients basically saying that their entire conception of the way that they are receiving medical care has been completely upended and improved in every meaningful way. And that's it's stunning to think about how many interventions are able to do something like that. When you see that, that must be extremely motivating. It is extremely motivating. And, uh, and uh, as I mentioned, it wasn't just by rational design, but the idea when you move knowledge instead of moving patients, because knowledge moves so much more smoothly, patients' movement is, is clunky, that a lot of these benefits just come naturally as a result of moving knowledge efficiently and, of course, adopting the purpose of ECHO, which is democratizing it, uh, not trying to use knowledge for personal advantage, but for human good, sharing it. I think that that statement that you had that's on the website as well, and I'd written that down. And I'd written it down because when we go back in you know, 20, 30, 40 years and we write the book of how healthcare changed in the early part of the 21st century, you know, I've said before on the podcast, I'm a history major by training, so I love to think about historical context, but also think about how we're going to people look at the work that we're doing. That sentence of moving knowledge instead of moving patients, I could easily see that being sort of a central dogma for how we change healthcare in the first part of the 21st century. That instead of thinking you have to get in your car, you know, you have to use a, as you mentioned, right, trying to pre preserve the planet and the environment at the same time, instead of moving, getting into your car and using fossil fuel, you can stay at home, you can walk to the office, you can get online and still receive the highest standards of care. When that kind of came to you, did it feel like almost that sort of eureka moment that we would hope, you know, when we look back and romanticize it? Or was it just sort of you were already doing the work and it kind of came to you like, oh, this is what we're doing. This makes sense. Yeah, you know, it, it was an evolution uh, in the sense that, of course, the model came as a eureka moment, right? Yeah. That I solved this problem that I was having for treating everybody with hepatitis C that was a eureka moment. But then what we found was as it has gradually spread to 50 different disease areas in six out of 94 hubs connected to thousands of clinics in 16 countries, what we found was that there were many, many other benefits, such as making care more culturally and appropriate, such as uh, making, uh, producing joy of work for the healthcare workforce, such as the wisdom of teams. That is how when you train just a primary care doctor, you get X level of effect. But when you train the whole team in the rural area, then patient care becomes much more patient-centered and effectiveness goes through the roof through this process of task shifting that is really helping people understand how to work in teams, what is whose role, and everybody having the necessary knowledge for their particular role and it coming together. Another uh, insight that occurred over time was that ECHO is not just a knowledge network, it's a social network. 
where these healthcare clinicians and nurses all interact together in a community of practice. And that's what produces the joy of work, that people want to work together to solve big human problems rather than working in an isolated way. Other issues were we started seeing how knowledge was absolutely exploding in the world at a logarithmic pace. But knowledge distribution methods were sort of linear. And there was a primary care clinician sitting in Farmington, New Mexico, who was expected to read the New England Journal of Medicine and keep up with all the different diseases that they're taking care of. And that's just not feasible. So developing a new, more efficient way of knowledge distribution, that was really new insights that came over time. You know, task shifting has been going on in the world for a very long time. What I like to call task shifting is define it is making every human being work at the highest level of his human potential. That's hard to do by just reading a book or something. What we have identified is that if you have an interprofessional consultation team of experts, if you do guided practice, and if you have mentor-mentee relationships, then every human being can actually operate at a very high level. And as long as they have this ongoing support, they can keep scaling up their skill set. And we learned that in hepatitis C, that the treatment evolved over the last 13 years, six times. It just completely changed. So we had to start from scratch. But the team was, community of practice was working together. And it was a natural evolution. Oh, a new treatment has come. A new insight has come. Just two days ago, on the new hepatitis C drugs, a new black box warning was put by the FDA. Essentially saying that when you treat and cure hepatitis C, you could trigger a resurgence of hepatitis B in the patient. This was never known before. But it took us about 15 minutes to really put it across the network. In all the 21 treatment sites, we just immediately got this knowledge out. So everybody started getting this new best practice literally immediately. And so I think that idea of short-circuiting the time between an innovation developing and then getting it to the last mile of healthcare, typically that can take many, many years. It can take, some people say, 17 years to make for that to happen. But really compressing that through this kind of communication was another important you know, insight that occurred. And I think the last part is that now we've realized, not just by our own experience, but our partners in 16 countries and every major university, perhaps every is too strong a word, but let's say, University of Washington, Oregon, UCSF, Stanford, uh, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Boston, Mass General, Johns Hopkins, and many, many others, right? They're all doing echo. And these common insights that are coming is one of the insights that is coming is one use of echo is to scale an existing best practice. That is, if you know how to give and make oral rehydration solution, something that was discovered more than 45 years ago, but Somebody in rural Nigeria doesn't know how to do it and you scale that knowledge, you'll do a lot of benefit. I call that scaling an existing best practice. And the other side of it is going forward, there'll be new innovation occurring at a very rapidly increasing pace. And ECHO can be a method to scale innovation of any kind in the future. So that's sort of the two. So multiple new insights came along as ECHO is deployed in the field, essentially, by all our partners. And we have a network of partners called Meta Echo, where everybody doing Echo shares with each other new insights. As you're, as you're speaking, I'm smiling because 
when I was a resident, the treatment for hepatitis C changed twice. And it was very confusing. And we're all trying to learn and we're all industrious and we're trying to connect with our professors and we're going to our clinics. There wasn't a resource to kind of go back beyond, as you say, going to conference or a grand rounds or something like that. And those are few and far between. At the same time, up to date, which is that's the, the online resource, you know, that was sort of the first level of scalable knowledge, but it's passive. You're reading. This is clearly the next level. And this brings medicine up to the expectation of a 21st century person who is computer literate, internet savvy, who basically is able to get online. This brings medicine up to date, not, you know, no pun intended, but it's stunning because it's going to change the way people can perceive not just how they learn, but then how they deliver care. And that gets to what I wanted to ask you in terms of the physician and provider side, the nurses, the, the allied health practitioners, the physicians, what's the buy-in been like? What's the resistance been like? Has people been avidly soaking this up or were there people saying, I don't have bandwidth for anything else. Don't give me another thing to do. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And so I think fundamentally the uptake has been very, very fast in those areas where they have national kinds of health systems, where all the incentives of the health system and providers are somewhat aligned. So that would be Northern Ireland, in Canada, the state of Ontario. Northern Ireland has a plan to roll out 20 echoes by the end of the year, basically. And they already, I think, launched about 10 or 14 or some large number like that. And the state of Ontario, and, and by the way, in Northern Ireland, they only have 1.7 million people. So you can have 20 echo projects for a small population. In the state of Ontario, the government has given huge resources to the universities to launch as many echoes as they possibly can. And in the United States, um, there is a little bit of a difficulty, Mark, in that large parts of our health system are often engaged in the maximization of revenue. And there isn't enough incentive to focus a lot on quality of health care. Now, that will change in the future. And in a fee-for-service model, there is a lot of focus on visits and not enough focus on outcomes. And so there can be a potential disincentive to providers to participate for an hour or two a week to become expert in a particular area. But despite this disincentive, the model is spreading like rapidly, like a wildfire in the United States and all over the world. So we are in 16 countries, but we'll be in 26 in 12 months from now, just to give you an idea of people who are rolling it out. We have a goal. We have a, a numerical metric that we've attached to reach 1 billion lives by 2025. So uh, that's where we're going. And, yeah, and we, are, we are on track because um, although only 94 hubs have launched in the world, 250 more have signed collaborative agreements with us. And so there are all kinds of new things going on and new projects launching in, in very distant parts of the world. So it is going fast. But it will go much faster when we move from a fee-for-service model to an accountable care system where all incentives get aligned to develop a patient-centered system which is focused on good patient experience and the highest possible quality of care at the lowest possible cost. Right now, our system doesn't have that incentive to lower cost significantly because uh, the healthcare system's cost is the revenue of the hospitals, of the doctors, of the health insurance companies, of 
nursing homes and pharmaceutical companies. So there isn't really an aligned incentive to reduce cost in the system. And um, ECHO is designed to improve quality of care, improve patient experience, improve healthcare outcomes, but also reduce cost at the same time by providing the right care at the right place at the right time. So I think that there is a significant misalignment with the current healthcare system, but I'm very optimistic that very rapidly things are moving in the right direction because ideally you want a system that not only does all those things I talked about for patients, but it also produces joy of work for the healthcare workforce. And you, you need to think of ECHO as a slightly different paradigm of the life of a primary care doctor in the sense that a primary care clinician at some point comes to the realization that they cannot be an expert in everything. That being this isolated island of expertise is not going to work because there's too much knowledge. And so what ECHO offers them the opportunity is to develop a specialized area of expertise and work a part of a team. That means if you're living in a small town, perhaps you develop expertise in endocrinology, whereas somebody else develops expertise in liver disease and another one in in, um, rheumatology so that you can create self-supporting networks to help your patients get the care where they need it, where they are. And so uh, that's a different way of thinking about healthcare as teams. The other different way of thinking about it is that in ECHO, we like to say everybody is a teacher and everybody is a learner. When you have a nurse and a community health worker on a clinic, they can bring a different perspective from which the specialist can also learn because the whole picture consists of many, many different aspects that have to be learned. And so so primary care clinicians also uh, have to start thinking of working in teams. And what I mean by that is there is a severe primary care shortage in the United States. And it's not doesn't look likely that all of a sudden five times the number of doctors will start going into primary care anytime soon. So, so the issue then is, can we do adequate task shifting? That is, change the role of primary care clinicians from being a solo sort of tennis player uh, where, or a golfer to actually becoming the captain of a soccer team where it's a team that is providing care to a population and everybody is trained to do their particular aspect of the work so that the primary care shortage is not just alleviated by more doctors going into primary care, but redesigning the work of a primary care clinician and giving him or her the the expertise and mentorship of experts uh, over time, longitudinally, to keep up their skill set. That is going to be an extraordinarily powerful remedy to another issue, and this is going to be one of the other amazing, possibly unintended consequences of ECHO. It's a, a remedy for burnout because this is going to allow people to have that feeling of being at the top of their license, not feeling overwhelmed, feeling like they're part of a team, feeling like they have a resource to go to for help, 
knowing that the work that they're doing, even though the cardiologist may not actually see the patient, that the project is validated. And there's the New England Journal article from 2011 that says the care is equivalent, that people do just as well when they're seeing someone who is leveraging echo versus seeing the specialist at the major academic center. That's going to be an extraordinarily powerful driver for people to want to grab onto this because it's going to make them feel so much better and more confident about their work. Yeah, so, so that is one insight that is absolutely irrefutable right now because there are now about 45 publications on ECHO. And the one thing that has emerges in everywhere ECHO is rolled out is this idea that it is producing joy of work. It's producing reduced professional isolation, increased professional satisfaction, better access to care. But one of the things that the problems that was there, which doctors were facing, but hadn't been articulated was that just like if you were to teach your daughter to drive a car, Mark, you couldn't give her lectures on how to drive a car and then just tell them, <laughs> you know, right. go hear the keys to the car. Right? right, right, right. What you do is you sit next to them and you do what we call iterative guided practice. That's what we need. We've always needed it. From the 2000 years ago, if you wanted to be a carpenter, you, beca- you, you became an apprentice. You learned apprentice, exactly. under guided practice. Yes. And, and that's what we need for medicine. That's how we learn as residents. But then when we graduate at the age of you know, 30, right. we are expected to go to a small area and then say, okay, I'm going to run everything on my own now. Yeah, the spigot of that's, learning just gets turned off completely. Absolutely. Yes. And so that's where, that's the key, I think, um, part of ECHO that actually makes it work, I think, is this idea of iterative guided practice under support. Have you had physicians reach out to you or organizations reach out to you with one of the, one of these two motivations, one of them, the physician or the CMO heard about echo and said, this is what we need because we need, you know, better access to care. We have burned out physicians, et cetera. And have you had same groups reach out to you because they've had patients come to them and say, we've heard about this. We need it. Make it happen. It's almost always the first one. Uh-huh. Because echo is not well enough known in the patient community yet. Not for long. But it is, but it is getting well known in the doctor community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard a story the other day from the state of Washington, where University of Washington being a hub, and they have like more than 100 spokes, right? And they said that there are doctors in federally qualified health centers now, they have developed a contract which basically say that I'm only working for your organization if you allow me to participate in ECHO once a week. The VA is also getting the same kind of feedback. Currently, we have large-scale ECHO projects in the VA for 37 different disease areas with nine university hubs connected to like 600 clinics. And there they're getting this same feedback that, look, don't stop us from doing this because this is balancing out our week. See, what happens is that in a system where you only measure how many times somebody rings the bell and you don't measure whether they create music or noise, then you can have a lot of noise in the system <laughs> because everybody's ringing the bell. Right. And so what I think uh, we are getting this feedback from clinicians you know, who go into primary care because they are deeply, deeply interested in patient welfare. And when they see this helping them and their patients, that is predominantly the way ECHO is spreading in the United States right now, despite the fact that the economic incentives are not aligned in most organizations. 
Are the academic centers that you're working with, University of New Mexico, University of Washington, as they are training their residents in pediatrics, family practice, internal medicine, et cetera, are they folding this into their curriculum so that when people go out, finish residency, that they feel, hey, you know what, I can go do work in a more isolated or rural area because I can be supported. I can, you know, access Project Echo and build my practice with that support. We haven't had as much success as that um, in that area because what, what we find, Mark, is that resident education in the United States, it's so inpatient focused right now and the residents are so busy that they actually it's very difficult to actually get on to the curriculum of a resident yeah it's tough it's very tough and so we've not been as successful at training medical students as residents on echo but there are a lot of echo projects out of many universities now as i mentioned there are about 60 hubs in the united states right who actually have spokes as family practice residency programs. So the problem that is happening is that there are a lot of family practice residency programs in rural United States where they don't have enough specialists to train them. In fact, sometimes they have no specialists. So then ECHO, they participate in ECHO to get that specialty knowledge for their residents. So that is occurring. I think the resident part is um, has got a couple of twists to it. One is it, it can be used to really help residents get the specialty knowledge that they need when they're doing residency programs in towns that they don't have. And when that happens, they automatically get trained. They, they get trained in, in doing ECHO, understanding its merit. And when they go to a rural area and practice or urban underserved area, they take it with them. A second and bigger use in the future is going to be training faculty. Because a lot of these residency programs, so for example, if you do your residency at UCSD, you have a huge number of faculty to train you in all different disciplines. That's not the case in residency programs in rural America, in small towns, and in developing countries. So training faculty is another very important role for ECHO. For example, in India, we have an ECHO project where the top liver specialists in the country are training medical school faculty. These are medical schools that don't have a liver specialist on their faculty. So that would be an example of another way of touching medical students and residents. So there are many, many different twists to this story. But at the heart of it, Mark, I think what your listeners probably should capture is that ECHO is a generic way to democratize best practice. And that sometimes it can be in medicine, but other times it can be in education other times, uh, we have an ECHO project going on right now for crisis intervention where the recipients of best practice are not doctors, they're not nurses, they're police officers on how to intervene in a crisis. Uh, there are many ECHO projects at the University of Wyoming to train school teachers of how to be better teachers, how to train school principals and medical superintendents, how to lead and manage schools well, leadership programs for teachers, and other kinds of, there, there are best practices in the environmental space the way we see the use of ECHO in the future. So this problem of an explosion in knowledge is a generic issue. And getting it to the last mile where people live is a challenge in many, many areas. So although we've started it for healthcare and for residents and fellows, etc., 
and for primary care doctors, we are seeing a rapid uh, expansion into other areas right now. The the growth of this, the potential, the ripple effects boggle the imagination, and this is going to be an extraordinary journey. I am motivated and excited and thinking about it myself, just hearing you speak about it. And I say the following, and I don't mean it flippantly. I mean it very, very seriously. I, I hope that Project Echo wins you and your team a Nobel Prize. This is the sort of thing that changes the game. It changes it irrevocably. It changes it in a positive way. And it sets the stage for the future. And it deserves the highest level of recognition as it develops in the way that I think all of us see that it will and certainly hope that it will. So all of the best going forward. This is extraordinary. And you taking the time to come and speak with us about it is, is really a privilege. So thank you. Thank you, Mark, for this opportunity. And thank you for your interest in Echo and all your kind words. It's an honor to be on your podcast. And I, I look forward to interacting more with you in the future. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.